Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. When we think of the appliances in our homes, very few have stood the test of time, like the KitchenAid stand mixer. And no, this is not a commercial to sell you one, and it's not a thank you gift in our membership drive. But maybe you've had one of these mixers for decades or even inherited one. A new essay in The Atlantic titled KitchenAid Did It Right 87 Years Ago examines how one kitchen staple was made to last, with a larger point being that so many things being made today are not, right? Author Anna Kramer joins us now. She's a technology and climate journalist and also writes about food and cooking in her newsletter, Bite Into This. Hi, Anna. Nice article. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And listeners, we can take some of your KitchenAid stories, but also want to open this up to any other appliances in your home that have endured years of use. What other kitchen appliances or other gadgets, or even we can add tools to this, have stood the test of time? What do you still own that falls into the category of they don't make them like they used to? 212-433-WNYC. Who has one to shout out? 212-433-9692. Handheld mixers seem to last. Yeah, but what about items outside of the kitchen? Much more recent, uh, anybody besides my producer hanging on to an old MacBook from 2011? That seems to be a legendary, long-lasting MacBook model for some reason. And what about things that have been passed down to you? Anyone using your grandma's old appliances? What do you still own? that falls into the category of they don't make them like they used to. That's our call-in question at 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Maybe there's even an appliance that, yes, needed repairs, but that you felt was worth putting time and effort and a little money into uh, saving. Call us and tell us about that. So, Anna, you're right. You are almost certainly not using your grandmother's phone to call your friends, her toaster (laughs) oven to cook, or her typewriter to function at your desk job, yet the stand mixer endures. Want to tell us about your KitchenAid stand mixer? Sure. So the reason I wrote this piece is because I have a pretty serious relationship with my own stand mixer, uh, because it was my dad's. And he got it at some point in the early 80s is the best that I can figure out or date it. And he bought it before he'd met my mom. He bought it obviously before I was born. And he's been baking out of it since then. And then when I was uh, sort of moving into my first apartment, he gave it to me because it still works perfectly and because I loved it. And when I go into my kitchen today, the only thing in there, aside from some pots and pans and my cookbooks, that I have any like feelings about that are emotional in any way or that I have an attachment to is that stand mixer. And it also happens to be a stand mixer that is really old. And so because I'm a technology journalist for a really long time, I've been wanting to write about this stand mixer uh, because I think it's kind of astounding that I have something that's this old, that I'm this attached to that still works this perfectly Um, to give people a little bit of an image. It's a professional series one. That's a bowl lift. It's white. It's kind of beat up because of all the years, you know, you can see the, bits of batter kind of crusted into it from who knows when. Mm. Um, And I use it all the time, not just for baking, but I have, I recently acquired the pasta rolling attachment. So I've learned to make 
you know, ravioli and handmade pastas with it recently. Um, I bake for friends all the time. I bake bread. I bake for myself. And it's something that I just have this profound attachment to. So I've been wanting to write about it for a long time. So is it unique in its um, longevity? Oh, yeah. So this is the other thing that I think is funny um, and it's something that I was envisioning when I was writing the piece is that like my electric water boiler, I'm on the third one in three years. Mm. And in the kitchen where I live, both fridges, I, I live with a bunch of roommates, both fridges, the stove and the dishwasher have all been replaced within the last year and a half or so, uh, including, for example, my fridge is a Whirlpool fridge and Whirlpool is the company that owns KitchenAid. So it's the same maker um, of, the, of the products, right? And so nothing else I own has that kind of long-term lifespan, which is something that I think is pretty extraordinary. Um, it's just modern technology today. When you buy it, you do not expect that it will last long enough to be able to pass it down as an heirloom. That's just not an expectation that anyone has anymore. Uh, so I think it's really important that we think about that longevity and try to figure out, you know, why is it so unique? What could we do to make other appliances last longer? You know, what kind of example does the KitchenAid set? Um, and like, why is our relationship with technology such that we feel totally comfortable throwing out lots of other stuff when it breaks or we don't get upset when something breaks after a couple of years because it was cheap? I think sort of querying that instinct is important, too. You want to hear a great text from a listener that just came in? It says, absolutely. Using my KitchenAid mixer to make Detroit style pizza dough right now. So <laughs> you've got company so out there. So is this I mean. You know, you write that being so durable, um, the KitchenAid is less consumable. So, mm -hmm. A, how does the company make money if this product lasts for generations? And B, do you think corporate America, manufacturing America, kind of got the message like, oh, we're going to make things with planned obsolescence? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it's important to understand that the KitchenAid stand mixer is owned by a much bigger company, Whirlpool, which I alluded to before, right? So they, and Whirlpool makes tons and tons of appliances of every size, including KitchenAid products. So the mixer, they can use the mixer as sort of a way to draw you into the company, right? They don't, mm. not every single product they make has the same level of longevity and modularity and repairability that this stand mixer has. A lot of their stuff breaks, as I talked about before, my fridge is a year and a half old and it's already having problems. Um, and so they don't need necessarily for the stand mixer to be an enormous income stream where you're constantly consuming it. Um, and then also B, you know, they still try in their own ways to get you to buy more of them by introducing colors of the year. Right. I talked about that in the piece a little bit. The color of the year this year is I think it's called blue salt and it's like an iridescent periwinkle color that sort of feels very Y2K and I think is supposed to be very appealing in today's aesthetic design trend universe. Um, and so I think that the reality of it is that companies in general know that if you made products that were all exactly like the stand mixer, that you just wouldn't make money because people wouldn't be replacing things all the time. There's also something to the fact that not everything can last this long. Modern electronic appliances are a lot more complicated and they have parts that do wear down over time. And that's a reality that we have to expect that if we want things to be electronic, if we want things to be digital and to have software, they are going to break faster. It's just the reality of how those things are produced. Um, but it is just true, I think, that companies know that the best way to make money is to make things that are designed to fail eventually. And then there's also a consumer element to this, right? Like we have, I think, as a society collectively accepted that things that we, we want things that are cheap. And so 
if we want things to be cheap, they're not going to last forever. Right. Some, uh, there is a, yeah. a social element too. Here are some examples of things that are lasting coming in. Yellow wearing blender with glass container. Another one, I oh, will be cool. 74 next week, and I still haven't used the Singer sewing machine my parents bought me when I was oh, 13 yeah. years old. Um, <laughs> another listener writes, our Sub-Zero refrigerator that we spent wow. $6,000 for in 1986 is oh still God. in tip-top condition. And here's one on the phone. Sharon in Harlem, you're on WNYC. Hi, Sharon. Yeah. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Thank you for this topic. Uh, yes, I have a Sears washing machine. I've had over 30 years, and it still works. Um, I've had several appliances, uh, refrigerators, freezers. All of those, those things have stood the test of time. And more importantly, to what your point, your, your uh, guest is saying, yes, that built-in obsolescence is, yes, it's there. It's there. And I just had to recently replace my printer, who I had only for maybe 10 years, and one of the things the guy told me, he says, well, you know, it's real, dig- you know, because of it's digitized and everything, it's going to it's gonna go out sooner. So, but my Sears washing machine is still working. Thank the you. The Sears washing machine, outlasting Sears, I think it's, uh, <laughs> well, they kind of are hanging on, I guess. Stephen Woodside <laughs> has one. Steve, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hello. Uh, go Bucks, Brian. Uh, I have a Vitamix, uh, variable speed, uh, uh, what do you call it, blender that my grandfather bought in the very early 80s uh, and, and it's, then after he died it sat in my mother's basement for 15 or 20 years and I've had it for 15 years and we use it every couple of days Steve thank you very much uh, oh Becky on Long Island, in Long Island City has a different one Becky you're on WNYC hi there hi um, so I have a popcorn popper from probably 1950s or 60s electric that I inherited from my grandparents. It used to have a glass lid that's broken, but it's got a heating element in the bottom and uh, you put your oil and popcorn, put the lid on, plug it in, got, you know, one of those adapters and it makes the best popcorn in the world. And if I'm being really bad, I use uh, bacon fat to make the popcorn. (laughs) Becky, thank you very much. Yeah, today, I guess, uh, Anna, people make popcorn in the microwave. Oh, yeah. Um, I think all of these examples that people are giving, too, is a a great opportunity for us to talk about the way that the interiors of our technology have have changed a lot. So the reason that a lot of these things are lasting such a long time is because electronics technology just was not nearly as complex or sophisticated when this stuff was built as the things that are built now. So companies can't really resist the temptation to give you a digital screen or a little jingle or an Internet connection. Right. And those little things make the technology inside of your appliance so much more complicated, which is part of why they fall apart so quickly or break so easily compared to some of this older stuff. You know, a few people are writing in about old vacuum cleaners that they still have. And Mm -hmm. one of these texts says, my best friend boasts the Electrolux vacuum cleaner her family had since her childhood on the Upper East Side that the seller would service annually back then, still Mm. works, and she uses it in her home in Brooklyn. Um, So so that brings us to the question of um, New York State, 
has a recent right to repair law, mm-hmm. which means we can get a lot of things repaired anywhere, not just at places affiliated with the manufacturer. But that mm-hmm. doesn't make things last longer before breaking down. Uh, but do you think it's important nonetheless for that to be part oh, of the absolutely. conversation? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the original ideas I had when I was working on this piece was to talk more about right to repair because I think we'd actually see more objects like the stand mixer that last quite as long if we had right to repair laws. Uh, I think the reality of it is right that if a company absolutely has to provide the parts and the manufacturing instructions to everyone, not just to their certified repair techs, right, there's more incentive to make something that lasts a little bit longer. Um, So I think that that in general could be good for all of us. Uh, I think it's also really important for people to understand that right to repair laws really do vary in the different places where they're being talked about or passed. Uh, So New York has quite a lot of exceptions for different types of technology, like farming equipment, for example. It's been very, very controversial in the world of farming that there's a lot of stuff that farmers use that they wish they could fix themselves and they're not Mm. allowed to. And that type of equipment has an exception in New York's law. So farmers don't get any benefit from this kind of protection. And I'm Uh, sure you, you know about these events that are like, you know, Repair cafes, libraries mm-hmm. host them, other places, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff is fantastic. And I totally recommend, I think one of the things that we could all do is spend a little bit more time thinking about how to fix the things that we have, learning how to fix things, sort of going back to that culture of repair that I think used to exist. You know, the, the woman whose vacuum cleaner was serviced every year, that's the kind of thing that you don't see anymore when you buy a vacuum cleaner, right? But that kind of culture where it's like you find somebody to service what you have and maintain it, is really valuable, and we've lost some of it, and I think it's important that we try to return to that. Because for you as an environmental reporter, this is also yeah. an environment story. You're right. In the United States Absolutely. alone, we threw out 2.2 million, 2.2 million tons worth of hair dryers, coffee pots, toasters, and other small appliances in 2018, the most recently mm-hmm. available data. So, I mean, that's a lot of appliances going in the dump. Oh, yeah, and... Think about the all of the valuable stuff that's in all those appliances, right? Like the copper wiring, for example. That stuff that technically, if we could find a way to recycle it, has a lot of value in today's world when we're building, you know, we're electrifying everything uh, to make it more climate, friend, climate friendly. Uh, it's also just true that, you know, the more stuff you throw out, the more stuff you have to buy. And the more stuff you buy, the more carbon emissions, the more pollution, the more resources, Right. Um, so this is a climate story. It's a technology story. It's a design story. It's so many different elements here that are all at play. We're getting so many tributes to exactly um, the thing you centered in your article, the stand mixer from KitchenAid. A lot of people seem to have them. Uh, another one, <laughs> my Oster blender acquired for S&H green stamps used daily since mid-1962. Uh, amazing. N- another one writes, vintage Philco fridge since the 1940s. And we're going to take one more on the phones and then we're going to run out of time. But this is appropriate for us to end with. Vito on the Jersey Shore. You're on WNYC. Hi, Vito. Hello, Brian. I'm a big fan. Um, So I have handed down to me, and it still works, an RCA um, vacuum tube radio. And on that radio, on the front cover, is is, is, it's made of glass. And there are cities and countries of, of the world, like Moscow, Paris, because back in Europe, pre-television, this is what people did. They listened to the radio. And also on it, it says the Vatican. So when the Vatican broadcasted, 
uh, they would turn, you could turn this radio on and listen to it. I still have it. I love it. You know, and and um, that's my story that I wanted to share. So it's not just an AM and FM; it's a world band radio. Yes. Yeah. It's I'm, really I'm, neat, but you have to have you have an antenna for it. Yeah. And um, I just use it for AM, FM. But I grew up with it in my bedroom. I had a lot of fun with it, and I still do. That is awesome, Vito. Thank you very much. How about that? A radio with vacuum tubes. I'm kind of glad we're past that day. But <laughs> I'm glad there are some he... wonderful advancements, true. Anna Kramer is a technology and climate journalist who also writes about food and cooking in her newsletter, Bite Into This. Anna, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It was really fun.